Amen. Praise the Lord. So glad you're here on Palm Sunday. We are glad you're able to join us today. And uh, I want to just tell you up front, uh, find a passage either on your phone or in the Bible if you're following along with us. Matthew chapter 21, we have uh, four, four passages, four verses we're looking at. And then Matthew 27, um, we'll have about four verses there. So just hold two places there in your Bible. Okay, Matthew 21 and then uh, Matthew 27. As we talk about Palm Sunday, and uh, Michael set me up so well for this, uh, title of the message is, First We Hailed Him, Then They Nailed Him to the Cross. And I want to examine with us today um, what happens that would lead a group of people to celebrate in worship the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, to praise him on Sunday and over the next few days to some become members of a mob who would cry out for him to be crucified. Let's take a look at the passage uh, beginning in Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 and 2. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, when Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. You know, uh, I was just thinking, I was reading that passage. Vanessa brought a message, uh, I think it was last year, about what that experience must have been like, you know, that uh, do you just go up and ask a guy uh, for his donkey, you know, just, you know, the Lord said, you know, uh, the faith that it took for these guys to obey the Lord and, and to go and do that, setting up what is about to happen, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Uh, skip down, if you will, to verse 6. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and colt and laid uh, their clothes on them and set him uh, on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then the multitude who went before uh, and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus is making his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. And it is a remarkable event that's recorded by all four of the Gospels. It is quite unlike anything uh, that has been recorded about the Lord Jesus in the New Testament. The story is Palm Sunday, as we come to understand it. But there's more to this triumphal welcome and entry as the days unfold, and, and many of these same people will participate in the mob that only a few days later will demand that Jesus be crucified. The journey from the triumphal entry, the praising of Jesus, to he no longer has a place in my life of that kind of authority. I will lead my life. He will not. How does that happen? And I want to begin by defining a word, religion, and I think uh, there are a lot of great definitions out there, but really one of the, the best that uh, I heard early on in my life that really simplistically sets this up for us in a nutshell was by the great philosopher Andre Crouch. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Andre Crouch said, religion is just man searching for God. That's really all it is when it gets boiled down. Uh, no matter what the liturgies are, no matter what the, the, uh, the, the, the attempts are to define it in terms of piety and holiness, it really is just man searching to find God. Now, when mankind finds God, though, it's, uh, it's when he's really confronted by the real God, uh, when, when he comes in contact with Jesus Christ, when, when mankind has this encounter that God has set him up for uh, lifelong, it, it is really amazing what happens to us. When mankind finds God, he is he's confronted with the separation from God. It's like we don't even really know that we're separated from God. We don't know how to define goodness until we have that encounter with a good and holy God. And suddenly it's in that moment that we recognize, I am separated so far from God, I never dreamed it. Our whole religious journey and search never set us up for this kind of an encounter. We all believed in the beginning of a religious journey and a spiritual journey, a search for God, that we had what it took to get to Him to have this encounter, to, to, uh, to come in contact with God and present ourselves. But it is in the actual presence of God, when we experience that, that we recognize how far away we are, how separated we are, and how we needed Him to come to us because there was no way for us to get to Him. The encounter that we have with God through Jesus Christ dismisses immediately the myth that there is good in us. We suddenly, profoundly uh, realize there is nothing good in us. For the first time in our lives, we have a reckoning with our sinful nature, don't we? I mean, we really get a good look at that sinful nature. And I have watched people over the years, the pastor, come and, and surrender their lives to God. It is that that altar kind of moment when they recognize that this, this awful, sinful nature that they have and how wrecked they are and how powerless they are to be able to do anything about it and that they're in the presence of God in a place that they feel they don't even belong, but they feel so warmed and welcomed into it. It's amazing. We no longer compare ourselves when we have this encounter with God with one another, do we? I'm better than him or her. I'm better than those people. I've seen the things they do. I'm not like that. But suddenly when we have this encounter with God, we are all comparing ourselves with Him, not with one another, right? And suddenly we feel at loss. We feel that we are so desperate and in need of change in our lives. And in that moment, we are moved from, I think, a religious belief to a personal relationship, or we can choose to continue in a religious pathway and be the leader of our own life. But that encounter sets us up for an instant decision. We will either accept him as the Lord and leader of our lives, or we will reject him and continue to lead our own path. We can ignore the one who created us and pursue our own interest and life goals, or we can surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. See, religion is the search 
for a spiritual leader. Who is going to lead me spiritually? Who's going to lead me through this life and into eternity? And as we search, we're asking, is anyone better at this task of leading me than me, right? You see, sin has us loving ourselves so much that replacing us as leaders seems impossible, right? Sin has a way of making us concentrate on us and our needs and our wants and our desires, and we love ourselves so much that it seems impossible that we could be replaced, that someone else could lead as well as we lead, that someone else could know us as well as we know us, that someone could answer our every craving desire and, and could, could meet us where we are. That someone could understand our thoughts, our desires, our motives better than us. And what we find in a relationship with God is purpose, meaning, and destiny. And all these have, have been unable to solve in the company of man but in the presence of God, in a moment of time, in that salvation experience that you and I have, suddenly all of that falls into place. Our whole journey looking for destiny and for purpose and for meaning in life got us nowhere. We liked some ideas and some philosophical presentations, but we worked them out to the end and they led to nothingness. But in a moment of time, in that encounter with Jesus Christ, suddenly, it all makes sense. After all, if, you know, our journey and struggle in religion has really been, and, and we come face to face with this in this encounter with Jesus Christ, that what this religious journey has become, what it has evolved into, it has, it has evolved into this, this kind of disproving of, of God so that we could rule. I'm going to search and search and search, and I'm going to try various kinds of religious pathways so that I can prove that I'm better suited to lead me than any of these other things, right? Because after all, here's, here's the deal. If I can understand God, if I can understand Him, you know, if God can be understood by man, then He's really not capable of being God anyway. After all, if I can reproduce him, what need have we of him, right? If we can make him and fashion him and form him and truly understand him, then what is it all about? And so part of this reckoning is that, that we are coming to this place of understanding and religion if, as the journey continues, even after the encounters in the presence of God inviting himself into our lives over and over again. It's really trying to disprove him so that we can continue to lead our own pathway. This is why many that day who hailed him on Palm Sunday would demand that he be crucified a few days later. Matthew chapter 27, verse 15 and through 17 reads, Now at the feast of the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner, whom they uh, wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. And therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release, Barabbas or Jesus 
who is called Christ. Barabbas or Jesus? Is that a trick question? <laughs> the choice seemed obvious, but blind men and blind women make the wrong choice always. And Paul explained that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are, listen to this, unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand the message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Unable to see good news might be one of the best definitions for someone who is not in Christ. Someone who, who does not have, has not surrendered their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ over their life. They are unable to see good news. Do you want this criminal loose, this guy who broke into your house, and, and this guy who's been pillaging the village? Or would you like to have this sinless man set free? Oh, give us the criminal. <laughs> Let him loose. The religious can always celebrate the event, but they cannot surrender to the Lordship. And that's why it was easy to celebrate Palm Sunday, but harder on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ over their life. Because surrender means death to the philosophies of man. Surrender means death to sin that we enjoy. You know, one of the reasons I just kind of want to stay on this journey is there are some things that I enjoy. They're not horrible things. They're not really hurting society. They're innocent kind of things, really. Surrender means death to our will and our way. Man, bummer. Why doesn't God agree with me more? <laughs> and he says back, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is destruction. Death to the God that we created so that the God that is will live. Hosanna to the Son of David is replaced with, let him be crucified. When the God who is does not match the God that we created, the God who is then must die. If religion truly is man searching for God, then it always leads, that search always ends in one of two ways. Surrender or rebellion. Either in surrender to the Lordship or we will crucify him in rebellion to his Lordship over our lives. Picturing God in this world is really easy. Every person on the planet, maybe not the God that you and I understand here, but every person on the planet can look around in this world and picture easily a God in this world. The beauty that we are surrounded by, the wonder of the universe that surrounds us, the complexity of life, everybody can have some level of appreciation for there being a God. But picturing God in our philosophical world 
our, our philosophical worldviews is, is much more complex, isn't it? Because here's the problem. The boxes that you and I have built do not contain him. And we are all about creating a one-dimensional God that fits into our philosophy, our culture, our idealism. He doesn't fit in the box. He can't be God. The God that we create often is a one-dimensional God. Perhaps today we're thinking of him as the God of love. And so we piece together a rational worldview where a God cannot do anything that seems unloving. But never mind the fact that you and I have not taken the time to work out a clean and, and proper and theological uh, view of love in the first place. Uh, we are just thinking of it as it relates to us and as, as our self, selfish nature wants it to be. And so we do not include things like there, love cannot have any suffering. Love cannot have any rejection. Love cannot have a cross. There's no definition for that in, in, in our box of love that God is. So in order to secure our one-dimensional God, we must turn the Bible into a resource book, right? And, uh, and when we do that, it is only useful, the Bible becomes only useful for proving our point about who God is and, and how love is defined. So we'll find the passages that we agree define the God of love that we want to believe in. And in our viewing of these passages, there is no such a thing in love as sacrifice. If I want to be with this person, then I should be able to be with this person. That's my want, right? There's no sacrifice that says, I'm already married. <laughs> They're already married. And the highest form of love I can offer to them is to say no there's no definition for that. God, that doesn't work. Get out of the box. We fell out of love. And I fell in love with someone else. The one-dimensional God that fits what we believe about whatever it is that we've created him to be. And the Bible becomes only useful then for proving our point that God is loving according to how we have defined love. For some in that mob on that day that were demanding that Jesus be crucified, some of the same ones who had welcomed him into Jerusalem, thrown down their clothes, cut down palm leaves to pave the way for Jesus to come through, singing Hosanna, which means save us, save me. Now they're in a different place. And so here they are now recognizing that this may not be the God that I want to surrender to. He's requiring too much. He wants all of me, right? He says, my things don't belong to him. I'm only a steward of them. How can that possibly be? My things are precious. Everybody knows it. He fought too little against the oppressive government. I thought he was coming here to take over. And so when I went to welcome him into Jerusalem, 
And I thought he was just going to go riding up to uh, overthrow the Roman government and, and uh, all of us would unite with him and we would celebrate at the Capitol. Here we are. We are in charge. And this is the guy that's going to lead us. He hangs out with losers. You know, I mean, these people, they're not going anywhere. And he hangs out with them. He spends a lot of time with them. I, I don't know if I can respect a God like that that hangs out with losers. Oh, he spoke harshly to religious leaders. Brother so-and-so has been a deacon for 40 years. What he says is next to Jesus. And so harsh on him, so terrible. When life gets extremely difficult and you and I feel powerless to change anything, do you trust God or do you second-guess God? I sometimes wonder where we would have been, all of us, had we been there the day after Palm Sunday, not Palm Sunday. I know where we would have all been on Palm Sunday, right? With everybody else, we would have been there with the crowd. We would have been singing. We would have been excited. We would have gone home and hung up our Jesus flags, you know. This is great. It's awesome. But what I wonder is where we would have been on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. On Palm Sunday, we probably would have been with that crowd, you know, singing, uh, because it's easy, you know, for us to, to, there's no really no pressure in being with the crowd, right? There's unity in mission. Nobody is, uh, you know, like opposing you in any way. You're with the group, you know, you're hanging out, you're marching with us. The unity, there's a unity of voice, there's a unity of purpose. There's a little bit of hero worship was probably going on there, too, as it play in the lives of those Man, I, I get to see Jesus. That's awesome. I've heard all about him, and I get to see him. And so there's some hero worship. Maybe he'll give me an autograph, you know. Uh, it's, it's, it's going to be great, you know. Uh, I can't wait. Let's get there early, and we'll line up. They had heard of all the great exploits of Jesus, so maybe there's a little hero worship there. For them, Jesus was bigger than Rome, for some that were there. And I believe that most that were there were very sincere in their hearts when they expressed, save us. Hosanna in the highest. Save us. Sincerity is present in religion. It is. You can be sincere, but be sincerely wrong. And there was, there was this, this sincerity of like, yeah, yeah, make it happen. But then there had to be these steps of the gospel to the surrender of his lordship over their lives. And that was where things got challenging. So Pilate says to them, what shall I do with Jesus? Matthew chapter 27, verse 22. Who is called Christ? What shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they said to him, let him be crucified. The question of Palm Sunday is, what happens the Monday after Palm Sunday? We may not be the same person on Monday that we were in the crowd on Sunday. 
And so the question comes for us, the reflection for us on Palm Sunday is, are we surrendered? Is, is, have we given him complete lordship over our lives? Are there things that we're holding back that could lead us to be a part of a mob on Monday once we have worshiped on Sunday? Is there room in our lives for our own rule and leadership and, and our, our role as a, as a key advisor in our life? Or have we, like said, don't say another word. Jesus is leading every step of our life. We're surrendered to him, and we're making decisions based on how he leads our life, how he directs our life. Have we truly surrendered? Religion will do that to you and I. It, it, the search for God always leads to an ultimatum. And now that we know he is God, we also know in that revelation that we are not. And that's, that's a harsh place to come to. I have never been leading my life. I have never done a, a credible job of making decisions. I need him. Everything I've done to this point, there's not any good in it. Isaiah said, all of your goodness, all of your righteousness is like a pile of filthy rags in the presence of the Lord. And the world that we live in right now, for the most part, does not know that until they have that encounter with, with God through Jesus Christ. And when they have that encounter, they see that pile of filthy rags. They see themselves for what they are. We've often said it here that I'm not as afraid of, of the man in the alley as I am of the man in the mirror when I get a good look at God. Like, oh God, I'm capable of everything. And I hold no goodness within me except you come and transform me and bring it out of me. God, I have no definition of love, of justice. I have no definition of any of those things outside of who you are. When I look at you, I recognize that I am not. And I want to be. And it's John, one of the disciples of Jesus Christ, saying, Oh, God, you must increase and I must decrease. I must get smaller and smaller every day that I walk with you, and you must get larger and larger. Jesus, that they may see you through me. The gospel has been preached, and the response is demanded. People gathered together to begin that response on Palm Sunday. But on Monday, there were changed minds. It wasn't as warm and fuzzy. Things hadn't gone so amazing. I remember Nicky Cruz, um, crossing the switchblades, had a chance to see him in person, giving his testimony on one occasion. And uh, I don't know how many of you, this is, goes way back, so I don't know how many of you remember uh, David Wilkerson, uh, the start of Teen Challenge, and he going to New York City, and it was these gangs, and these, these guys were out of control, and that's where he, God sent him, and he began to lead these guys to Christ. And he talks about the wreck it was, you know, trying to have services, you know, and on one occasion he was trying to receive an offering, and these guys were coming up uh, to people in the audience, and they would not leave until they put money in. Hey, give me your purse. Come on. Get some money out of there. Hey, pastor needs some money. 
he was just talking about just what, what a train wreck all, all this, this was. But Nicky Cruz was telling about when he first got saved, you know, he, just radical transformation in, in his life, but still working it out, you know, kind of thing. Like, because he still lived on the streets, right? And so he's, he's walking down the streets, and this guy across the street goes, Hey, Nicky, I heard you're a Jesus boy now. Nicky is a Jesus boy. He said, man, you know, in that moment, like, I forgot about Jesus, <laughs> and I got really angry, and I ran across the street, and he tackled this guy, knocks him down, and he starts choking him. He says, you're going to be a Jesus boy, too. <laughs> Say, Jesus, forgive me. And this guy's like, Jesus, forgive me. <laughs> what happens when we have this confrontation, inviting the worship team to come back? After the gospel's been preached, Response is demanded. What are we like on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? We can't go on living in ignorance once truth has revealed himself. Truth is not a world concept. Truth is not on Facebook or Google or whatever else. Um, the CDC doesn't hold truth. And, you know, none of the, you know, the government doesn't hold truth, right? Truth is a person. It's Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to follow me, right? You're going to surrender to my lordship, my leadership over your life, right? There's nothing wrong with all of those uh, entities that are around, but when we're looking for solid truth for our lives, to walk our lives out, we're looking to the source of all truth, right? This is no longer just a book on the shelf that we pull to prove our points. This is life and sustenance to us. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's important for you and I to have this confrontation with our own selves this morning on Palm Sunday and to say, you know, I am going to surrender to complete lordship of Jesus Christ over my life. I want to ask you to stand with me. Whatever happens on Sunday is always revealed on Monday. And there are, uh, we've gathered here today to kind of like look again and do a second look and say, have I really empowered you to be Lord over all my life? Have I really surrendered to your Lordship or am I in some way holding back? Is my Hosanna authentic in the sense of like, Lord, save me and I'm going to be available for you to do that. Whatever you need to do in my heart and life, I'm opening up to it, right? I'm opening up to letting you speak life into me and to transform me and I will obey you. I will follow every leading, every step, every step. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I wonder this morning, how many of you would lift your hand and say, I need, Pastor, there are things in my life I need to surrender. I've been holding back. As you've been talking, the Holy Spirit has been dealing with some things in my life that I have not fully surrendered. I'm recognizing that, you know, I, I, I have praised him, I have worshiped him, but I haven't completely surrendered. I'm holding back in some areas of my life. There are things that I've said, you know, they just... These are things that I'm going to hang on to. Just slip your hand up and write back down real quick. Yes, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God's dealing. Holy Spirit is dealing with hearts and lives. This is a, a place of surrender right now. Let's just offer up to him. Lord, I want you to have all of me. Come on, let's just offer ourselves to him. Lord, I belong to you. I want you to own me, to have every... Lord, you, I want you to be the ruler and the leader of my life. I want to be the same on Monday as I was on Sunday. When I said, Hosanna, save us, I meant it with all my heart. I need your salvation, Lord. I need a transformation. I need to surrender every part of my life to you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I give myself wholly and completely to you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, worship him, church. Let's love on him. Jesus, we love you. We praise you, God. How great are you, Lord? How great are you, Lord? How awesome are you? Lord, we don't want to function in any level of religion. We have found you in this encounter, and we want to surrender completely to you. We want to belong to you. Transform us, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. Let's worship him in song. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, 